On the investor side, you know, we get to put our money into products and solutions that are going to hit the market and and have a say, you know, often literally in those products of whether or not that's going to come to market and we're going to see that product. And for a woman in particular, when we have, what is it, 80, 90% of the decision-making of a household, yet we are so poorly represented when it comes to just putting money into companies and deciding what products go on market. It really is super rewarding for us to think about that and to have that say, if you will, into the company. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons. We are the largest law firm in the world with offices in more than 200 locations across 80 countries available to support you everywhere you do business. We're a law firm that embraces change and can help you grow, protect, operate, and finance your organization, which is why Dentons is organized to offer more than just legal insight. We're here to help you find business solutions in a seamless fashion across the globe. Hi, everyone. My name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast, where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today, I'm joined by Joanne Sadeko, founder of Canadian Women's Network and the CEO of Connections Silicon Valley. Welcome, Joanne. Heather, it's so nice to see you. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Just to kick us off, can you give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself, as well as both Connections Silicon Valley and the Canadian Women's Network? Yeah, I'll try to give the short version, right? So I always love... Whatever it takes. I always love to start, especially when I'm talking to somebody in Edmonton or in Alberta, that I'm from Alberta originally. Yay! So that's where I come home to. Those are my roots that I that I love. And I had the fortune to move down to Silicon Valley in 1999. And we might dip into some of that as we as we talk but um you know I'm still here and the work that I do now really helps to connect Canadian entrepreneurs into Silicon Valley hmm. and we started a women's network in 2018 to focus on female founders and connecting them um into capital and potential customers and really just the the ethos uh, and the the mindset of Silicon Valley that is kind of so rich here. So that's what the Canadian Women's Network is. We have over 700 members and an online community now. We run lots of programming and events, uh, both across Canada and then kind of our signature events with an immersion program in Silicon Valley. And Connection Silicon Valley is really the umbrella company of the things that I do. And it's at that heart of connecting Canadians into the Valley. So we uh, have done various things. We've worked with um, women on boards and uh, trying to get more uh, women onto some earlier stage boards uh, through the board list years back was a company that started here in the Valley by an expat Canadian. We've worked with the Alberta government for several years and acted as their liaison to help companies from Alberta get into Silicon Valley. And um, we attracted seven companies to move into Alberta from the U.S. Oh, wow. Uh, and then we also work with some startups in an in small engagement fashion. So those that are looking for some little extra help and us opening up our networks to investors uh, on their behalf. So anything that's usually like not women is falls under Connection Silicon Valley, kind of the catch-up. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. 
Um, I imagine I, I have had a number of clients who have worked with you and who have, you know, taken some little field trips down to Silicon Valley and, and sort of scouted out the landscape and seen what's available. So I know it's a very valuable uh, program and, and that there's lots of resources if you know who to ask. And I think one of the, one of the barriers, of course, for entrepreneurs generally is navigating that pathway and who do you know and how do you sort of access the right the right resource at the right time. And that right resource, of course, can differ um, based on who you are, what your company is. And, um, and so having someone with a friendly face with some Alberta roots is always nice to you know, be able to help um, move it along, whatever, whatever that, that is. Um, as you know, one of the, the resources that is most constrained for um, entrepreneurs really at any stage is, is access to capital. And that's one of the things that I wanted um, to focus on with, with you today is, is really capital raising and more specifically in the area of angel investment. And I, I wondered if you could give us some common myths out there about angel investing that, that we should just debunk. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll give my perspective because it's yeah, one of course. those things that years back, I thought it was for the really rich. I oh. thought you had to be wealthy. I thought you had to have a lot of money and a lot of status. And it was like this um, club that you couldn't yep. get into. You didn't know how to get into. There was no secret knock that you could get access to. Um, and that you also had to invest a lot of money. Uh, so you had to have a lot of money and then the investments would have to be like a large size. So it turns out none of that is really true. Oh. Uh, you do have to have in the US and Canada a certain certain threshold of income. So the government does try to protect individuals from investing all of their money into one of the highest, you know, riskiest kind of vehicles out there, which is early stage startup investing. So they have a, a cap. Um, and Canada and the US are the same, where it's $200,000 of income if you're an individual or $300,000 if you're a couple. As that's one criteria. There's another criteria, like if you have a million dollars in assets. Um, but usually that threshold of two or three hundred thousand of single or combined income is an easier bar sometimes, especially if you're living in a place like Silicon Valley, where uh, that kind of, <laughs> well, I guess some there have that in spades, and others, you know, we never get into the housing market. So right. that's the first thing is if you have that, then you're an accredited investor and you can be investing into. Um, the asset class of startups, early stage private investment. Now, how you go about finding those and where you do that is 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 another another point of it. Um, um, just to just to clarify, in in some speak that uh, that may be familiar to our audience, that those thresholds that you're talking about that makes makes you eligible to be able to invest. Um, would be an accredited investor. And what you're talking about between the US and Canada, that threshold is the same. And so if you meet that requirement, you are then considered to be an accredited investor, which allows you to play in the space of sort of private company um, investment. So not qualified by a prospectus, not a company that's not listed on the on the stock exchange. And so that's your that is your secret knock to be able to get into the club to be able to invest. And, and there are some other um, there are some other categories of investors that can also play in that space. But that accredited investor is certainly the the most common door that that I think investors um, 
get into. So I think that's uh, that may be some language that people are familiar with. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then the other side of that is that you have to have a lot of money to invest into companies. So there's groups and ways that you can contribute smaller dollar amounts, you know, probably as low as $500, but certainly a couple thousand dollars into uh, and as an, in, as an investment in, and sometimes you're pooling capital together with other angel investors or an angel group so that in the whole, it's a larger amount for the startup. Yep. Um, and we can talk a little bit about some of those methods, uh, and, and the angel investment fund that we've launched here in Silicon oh. Valley as well to chat about that. But the point is like, you don't, if you're an accredited investor, and you have the ability, therefore, to invest, you can invest smaller dollars amounts into it, especially in the beginning, as you're getting into yeah. it, you're really novice, and you're not quite sure it's and you want to like take some money. And you know, you should always take money that it's okay to lose. It's okay yeah. that you don't need it, because it is very right. highly, you know, risky, this asset class, as they call it, um, to do it. But yeah, Joanne, can you tell me the benefits both on both sides of the equation, both for the startup and for the investor? Why is it a good idea or what's the what's the benefit of investing in these early stage companies? When a founder comes up with an idea, they generally have just that an idea, some way to that they think they're going to you know, build the product, uh, solve the problem that's out there, but what they usually lack is capital, money, yeah. things that people need in order to build it. So that early stage investment, which is where angel investing comes in, uh, is really critical to the startup. They often can't you know, launch without that early capital. Um, in Canada, they're lucky there's government grants available to help them sometimes founders bootstrap. But often if you are truly looking to build a, a global business, um, that's going to need a lot of capital for you to do that quickly. So the first stages is friends, family, and fools, and angel yep. investing comes shortly thereafter. Um, so it's it's still really super highly risky at that time. So it's critical for startups because they, they need that often to keep going and to realize the dream that they have. On the investor side, you know we get to put our money into products and solutions that are going to hit the market and and have a say you know often literally in those products of whether or not that's going to come to market and we're going to see that product and for a woman in particular when we have what is it 80 90% of the decision making of a household yet yeah. we're so poorly represented when it comes to just putting money into companies and deciding what products go on market it really is super rewarding for us to think about that and to have that say, if you will, into the company. And, um, you know, it's also incredibly educational. You can, you learn so much about an industry or a sector or, you know, nitty gritty into products and markets. Um, there's a, it's a great community. So there's yeah. a benefit on the investor side. Uh, there's, you know, a return on investment, which we all want first and foremost out of it. Uh, and then it, all of that kind of comes together as it can be really fun um, yeah. to, to, to do it. So that, that's how I view both sides of the, the equation and the benefits. That, that's really interesting. I think that one of the, um, 
you know, as you articulated, being part of the ride for a company to find that product market fit can be really exciting. And I have lots of, uh, you know, lots of entrepreneurs who have sold their companies and then they are looking for ways to give back. And so they become investors or they take on mentorship roles with, with companies. And so they stay involved. They, as you say, that community is really welcoming and there's there's room for everybody, no matter kind of who you are or what, what side of the equation you, you've been on. But I also think that, and, and this is this is a little bit outside of the uh, direct sort of capital raising, is sometimes those really early stage companies that are looking for that product market fit are truly looking for feedback. And so their investor group is is in some ways they're like their cheerleaders and they're you know the, the people who help them, but also help really refine the focus or the vision. And so if you put money into an early stage company, you're more likely to get early you know reports or or pro progress updates about what's going on with the with the you know the the product or the service that they're working on and you really have that opportunity to shape that and to provide your feedback about is this helpful is this useful do you like a do you like b and i think there's a lot of people who get really interested in in that journey because you know if you go to the apple store like you're going to buy great products, but you don't have any input into generally into you know what a next iteration will look like. Whereas you often do um, in those really early stage companies, and so I think that's something that often really resonates, depending of course what it is, but that often really resonates with uh, people that I speak to as well. Yeah, and I'll add that it's the network that you bring to the table for that founder. So it's not just your capital and maybe your expertise. Um, and, you know, it's almost a bit of a pay it forward model because you get to bring people in, whether that's other investors and other money, potential customers, you know, mentors, other founders that have been there, done it, that they can learn from, you know, bringing that whole network is hugely valuable to the startup. But again, also I think super rewarding um, for us as individuals that we can pay it forward, all of the, you know, networks that we've built. Of course. And, and it, within those networks that you've built, you're going to see overlaps that other people might not. And if you can just make an introduction to somebody that's hugely helpful, you know, in the, in the instance, in the first instance to them, but it, as you say, it's also really rewarding to, to be thinking of others and to be paying it forward, as you say. Mm -hmm. What's what's a difference, if if any? What differences, if any, do you see between angel investors in Silicon Valley compared to those in Alberta? Are they in the same league? Can they play in the same space? We talked about how that accredited investor exemption is available on both sides of the border, but are there characteristics that are different um, of the angel investors that you see? It's hard to go out in the Bay Area, especially in my circle of startups. And not sure. run into somebody that's doing investing, you know. Interesting. It's just it's pretty common. Uh, whether you know, there's of course VCs doing it, um, but you know, a lot of people that are founders or executive people that have built their wealth, or again, they know people, or they're they're part of an accelerator where they're providing their expertise and giving some of that, you know, back. So they end up getting in you know, lots, seeing lots of startups and whatnot. So it's pretty prolific here in some ways. And I say that's a big difference, right? Because in yeah, or even Canada in general, right? That's not, um, that's not what's happening there. Um, but there is uh, a movement, there is education, there's lots happening within the markets within Canada in different cities in order to help educate um, and, and educate in sort of the, you know, you would put a whole bunch of money 
to drill a hole in the ground and hope that there's oil there. But, you know, let's educate you on $100,000 into a startup product. Maybe that could be in your industry and help solve something there. But it's a different mindset and it's, you know, a different risk profile that they're not used to. And, and they also are not used to seeing that kind of those kind of technologies per se. So that's where, you know, organizations and groups that are doing that to kind of bridge that from somebody that has wealth and would be doing other types of investment of what it could look like to be, you know, an investor from a, into a startup side. Um, Excuse me. Um, what, so if you're a woman uh, in Alberta and you're looking to get into the space to start investing, how do you, how do you best learn the ropes? Like you obviously aren't going to take, as you, you said, you're not going to take your last, uh, you know, $25,000 and invest it into a company. Cause that would just not be the responsible thing to do. But let's yep. say you've got a little bit of money that you can play with. How do you learn the ropes so that you can make good choices so that you can feel good about your, you just can feel like, you know, what you're doing. What's, what's a good place to start? There's two good places to start. One is like the internet. There's an amazing plethora of like books and podcasts and even courses out there that you could take um, and, and a lot of stuff that is free and available to you. Uh, but within Alberta specifically, there's an organization called the 51 and they yeah. have an investment course um, for women. So you could take that. And there's been other of those types of courses and classes um, across Canada, as well as you know, into the US and whatnot. So um, I've done some speaking to the 51 on for yeah. the women investors talking about things like accredited investors. And um, there's lots of great questions that come out of that, but that signifies that people are like t dipping their toe in and wanting to be responsible. And I think maybe that's one of the differences that that I see between women and men investors is that women want to dip their toe Whereas men sometimes are like, yeah, sure. Like, sounds great. I'll, I'll just jump in. Of course, that's a complete generalization, but there's a, it seems to me that there's a much bigger appetite for education and information before you, you make that first step. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so it, and there's, I, hopefully there'll be more things that come make available in the last number of years. We've seen just a lot more venture funds that are focused on, you know, investing in women or underrepresented um, groups. Uh, you see a lot more angels and angel groups coming up. Um, like I mentioned, we have our, our angel fund that we're launching here, and it's actually based on a model that was started in Canada where there's funds across Canada with that. And so, and because of that, I've now met, you know, so many different angel groups and, you know, angels participating in different, you know, communities where you mm -hmm. can meet with other women um, see that that startup deal flow, as we call it, learn as you go without spending too much of your dollars, you know, at the forefront, like you said, with it. So I think it's one of those things that you, as you start to look into it, hopefully it's a little bit of a snowball. Will you just get introduced to another and another and another, read a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and then you can kind of find something that fits for you, whether that's local or global, you know, in person or online. And you know, kind of the, the rhythm and cadence that someone's looking for is that that also matches your interest areas and your dollars. Yeah, and I think it's really, excuse me, I think it's really important, um, or really not important, but really insightful, which can be important, I think, to some investors to be able to participate in the 
conversations and listen to some of the questions that other investors, maybe those who have done it before, are asking. And so if it's not your subject matter expertise, but maybe it's an industry that you'd like to learn more about or you've had some interest in, you may not even know the questions that you should be asking to, to judge whether you know it's a good investment or what stage the company is at. And so one of the things that I think I, I've heard a lot of uh, women investors say is it's really nice to be at the table and listen to some other experienced investors ask the questions because that just enhances your ability to number one, absorb the information, the answers that are that are provided, but also to hone the skill of inquiry so that the next time you're at the table, you you, you have a sense of, you know, what, what kind of questions you should be asking. Mm-hmm. Some of those um, organizations that you're talking to and, and the, you know, your organization, as you alluded to, create funds. And they 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 pool the little pieces of, of, of money that you know that individual investors can pool, and then it becomes a syndicate, and the power of that money then you know can be deployed to to other companies. If you if you do that investment, of course, that in some ways lowers your risk because you're one of you know many people and you can make a more significant impact theoretically, but you also have less ability to direct your funds to a particular investment because somehow there, there has to be a group that's in charge of making the investment decision. How do you, if you're the little guy, how do you, how do you have influence to be able to direct what you're going to, what the group, the syndicate is ultimately going to invest in? Well, there's different ways that you can pull your money together. So you can put money in where somebody else has the decision-making on the investments and that's yep. some kind of the angel groups, maybe as they started Um, another way though, is like, you can be part of an angel group and community, but you don't have a requirement per se to invest in, you know, companies throughout the year. You might have a dollar amount that you have Mm. to give. So there's one group down here where I think it's like $25,000. You have to make an investment a year of that Mm. amount. Um, and I don't know if it has to be just one or multiple so that when there is, what they do is they bring startups forward and say, you know, here's a company and you learn about it, you do diligence. Okay. Then they're going to kind of do a capital call and say, what angel is interested. And then you're at least being able to choose. I want in on that deal, or I don't want in on that deal. So there's another way to be able to do it. And you're still pooling your capital sometimes in that case, but that just is better a way to manage it from efficiency standpoint, um, because you could also just do individual investments. And that gets into a whole other thing of, you know, startups shouldn't have too many individual investors on their capitalization table, their cap table, um, because that gets unruly. So that's why the syndicates, as you know, and coming together with those groups kind of helps there with it. So there's different models. And I think that's a good point. And if you're getting into it, what kind of model are you looking at? Um, right. For the fund format that we have, it's uh, Women's Equity Lab in Canada. That's the, is the name. We have the Silicon Valley fund that we're starting with the same name. And everybody pools their capital in, but we're actually making collective decisions. So it's yet another mm-hmm. model. It's not somebody else, <laughs> the general partners. It's us, you know, unanimously but, you know, coming up with, um, you know, a, a decision um, based on, you know, a vote um, 
whether or not we're going to invest or not. So in our case, it's like if over 70% of the LPs, limited partners, the investors into this fund say, yes, we're going to invest, then we'll invest the pool of capital in. So. <clears throat> One of the, um, uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of iterations of, of exactly what you just described. And uh, there are some funds that are, looking for investments and, and the, the type of investment might change by season or by year or never. So for example, there are some funds that are looking to make investments in agriculture. And so if you want to make a difference in agriculture, that would be you know a, a sensible place to, to start because your funds will be at least directed into that area as opposed to oil and gas, for example. There are other funds that are looking to invest in women-owned businesses or in underrepresented ownership from an ownership perspective, but not necessarily in a specific, you know, uh, targeted area of, of investment. And so I think all of that to say that there's, there's lots of ways to invest, there's lots of ways to make an impact. But as an investor, I think you need to sit back and, and take stock of what's really important to you. So is it more important to you to, you know, have low risk investment, everybody wants that, um, to be able to invest in women-owned businesses versus invest in a particular, like agriculture, for example. And so I think you have a, a, a number of options available, um, but the savvy investors, the ones that are really doing very doing it very deliberately, really choose which one. So they find the group that best aligns with what resonates best, best with them. And, and that changes over time. And so you might put, as you say, 25,000 into this investment. And then once you've got a little bit of confidence and you've gained a little bit of traction and you've seen what it's done, you might take a larger dollar amount and invest in something a little bit different. Um, also for the exposure to different types of pitches and different types of other investors um, around the, the table. I've heard many entrepreneurs who've told me stories about how they you know, go to these pitch events and they pitch and they, they don't raise the capital that they want from that group, but somebody in that pool of investors says, oh, this would be, you'd be a really good fit for my friend or for, you know, my colleague. And so there's still, it's never a waste of time if you're the entrepreneur, because the connections, and you alluded to this as well, the connections that you make, you never know where it's, it's ultimately going to lead. And so I think, I think it's really important to really keep an open mind and learn as much as you can um, so that you are just educating yourself um, for better investments next time as well. Mm -hmm. And as angels, you know, you're investing in, I think, because you really understand like the, the industry, the problem that you're they're solving, um, or you're very like interested in it and want to learn something about right. it. So, right. and usually investors go into things that they know it's like, and that's why it's, it's you right. know, focused for investors. Cause they know it, they feel comfortable. They can look at the data and they look at the product and they can see what's out there. And, you know, for others, um, again, it's a little bit more like I'm interested in the food and agriculture sector. And so I'm going to dip my toe kind of over there right. and learn a right. little bit about that and see if I want to do more. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. where the fin comes in, right? <laughs> oh, well, well, that's, that's why it's so exciting, right? Is because even if you said like, look, I want food and agriculture, because that's what I'm really interested in. There's going to be a hundred different investment opportunities within that sector that it, you're not shutting a door, right? Like you're just focusing a little bit more, but um, you're still going to have so much opportunity. Totally. Yes. Yeah.
I, I echo the comments that you made about, um, you know, just, just Google, just find on the internet, you know, books, podcasts, articles, pod, whatever, like whatever uh, is helpful to you. Just get some basic education around what the process is. Um, and um, I just don't think you can go wrong by having a little bit of, of knowledge. And I also think that um, it is completely fair to ask whatever questions you have of the the entrepreneurs that you're intending to invest in as well as the other investors who are interested in investing and i think people are always happy to share their knowledge and share their networks and connect you to you know to other people and i think people people can be intimidated by the process of of early stage investment but there's so much um there's such a wealth of knowledge in the room um, for these people that i think it's a really great opportunity to ed just educate yourself Mm -hmm. Completely agree. <clears throat> Where can our listeners find out more about you and Connection Silicon Valley, as well as the Canadian Women's Network? Well, the easiest is my LinkedIn, because then it goes to all of the oh, okay, yeah, uh, within that, and then because CWNSV for Canadian Women's yes. Network, SiliconValley.com is uh, that there, but. We also have a magazine called Disruption. So that's oh. disruptionmagazine.ca. Women's Equity Lab is separate. Um, again, that's a Canadian fund when there's six funds across Canada. So we can give you those, those links and whatnot for, for you to put in the show notes. Yeah, that would be, that would be great. And um, there's so much information that's, that's available there. Yeah. Well, thank you, Joanne, for taking time to uh, to chat with us today. I think it's really important to demystify those myths about investors and investing and um, and what it takes to be a successful investor. And I thought this was really helpful. So thank you for taking time. Yeah. And if, if anybody wishes to speak about angel investing, um, be more than happy to have that conversation with Women's Equity Lab. We're really trying to democratize access for for women um, to get them on the cap table of these early stage startups so so that we have more of our you know purchasing power you know put to play reflected yes exactly. yes so excellent well thank you so much thank you for joining the podcast today if you like the podcast don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update 